Hello, I'm Diana Edwards. This is Our Stories, Conversations on Conscious Living and Dying. All of these stories are courageous journeys of self-awareness and healing, often told by guests who have never been interviewed before. While each story is unique to the individual, these beautiful stories remind us that the human experience is a collective experience. And so, the wisdom you will hear and feel can speak to us all. Welcome to Our Stories. Welcome, Krista. Welcome to Our Stories. I'm so grateful for you to be here today and come and share your stories, your experiences around death and dying, and help us expand this conversation. Welcome. Thank you, Diana, for inviting me. Absolutely. So what I like to do is to give people an idea of who you are, where you're from, your childhood experiences, so they can kind of contextualize it, you know, in conjunction with where they were growing up or depending on their age. It just helps because all of our stories are so different. So you are from Germany. You were born in Nuremberg. Correct. Yes. And would you tell us more about your childhood in Germany and... I was born in Nuremberg, but I don't remember much of that. And then I think when it was a year and a half, my um, mother and father, we moved back to my hometown, Aachen. And uh, Aachen is uh, right at the Dutch-Belgian border. It's a very beautiful, ancient town. And I went there to school, high school, college. And your first experience of death, and maybe not consciously, was when your father died when you were two and a half years old. Yes, my dad died in a quite dramatic car accident, and it was very, I did not, of course, my mom didn't take me to the um, funeral, but she told me dad went to heaven, so I thought he just went to a to a place, and it was very, my mom was just shattered because uh, they tried to have me for quite a long time. My mom was a little older when she, when they... Um, when I was born. Mm-hmm. So for her then to lose her husband was, you know, I could feel that's a part I could feel how sad she was. And she would say things to me like, don't cry. Um, you know, you, uh, mommy, mommy's sad. So I kind of became the, the entertainer. I would always try to make her happy and do little plays and kind of, I could feel that there was some deep sadness in my mother. And death in your childhood also kind of had a pervasive historical feel because as you were telling me, your grandfathers were, your grandfather yeah. was in both World War I and World War II. Your dad was in the Korean War. So th- could you talk a little bit about how that was in your childhood experience? Yeah, in, in, in general, I think any, any country that went through a lot of wars really um, impregnates that into their the people that were alive and then their children. I'm the first generation. It's like 14 years um, after the war I was born. And um, both my mother, my father, my grandfather saw a lot of death. And they were raised in that. They lived in that. And, um, of course, they didn't really talk about that much when I, I grew up. But as a child, you're so sensitive. You can feel mm-hmm. when there's something not right, you know. So still, my friends always call me. You're such a harmony freak. You always want everything to be in harmony, and and I think that came from that time of of feeling that um, 
I wanted to really live in joy and and uh, make make everything good around me, make my mom happy, make my grandfather happy. And I don't remember. I remember a little bit of my dad, but not not much. I, I mean, I have an image of him. Were there pictures out so you could? Yes, remember my him? mom had pictures everywhere, and I have. I still have pictures. And actually, after my mother died, he I, I experienced him once in a dream. Your father. Yeah, he came and he had like uh, I remember brown overalls on, and and he was sitting with me at a table, and I got, I kind of go, who is this? And I thought that's my dad. And I said, Dad, well, what are you doing here? I, I never had, in my dream, I thought, I never dreamt about you. And I said, well, I just want to let you know I'm your dad and I'm there for you. And I thought, well, that's kind of cool. And then never again, but there was one appearance in my life. How old were you when that dream happened? That happened right after my mother died. So that's, um, my mom died 2001. So around that time. So about 40. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're going to get back to your dreams. <laughs> I'm a dreamer. No, but you know, a lot of people have that and other people have none of that. And and so it's it's nice to share both sides of what it's like to feel someone reach out to you in a dream state. Yeah. So we'll return to that. Now, when you were growing up, did you have any memory of saying, you know, now where did dad go again? Or, I mean, you know, because as what people don't always understand about grief is, you know, they'll say, oh, well, she was two and a half when he died. She, she'll be fine. But in my experience as a therapist that works with grieving children, that changes depending on the age of the child and the developmental stage they're in. So when a child is five or 10 or 13 or maybe 16, you know, it'll come up in different layers as their consciousness has been able to expand and they can understand more. And maybe they grieve on a different level like, gosh, I'm turning 16 and my dad can't be here for this function that might be celebrating, you know, you turning 16 or a wedding. You know, dad's not there to walk me down the aisle. So when you lose a dad as young as you did, do you have any recollection of moments throughout the last 20, 30, 40 years where you reprocessed it? I think when I really realized what it meant where he was, was actually when I was 12 and my grandfather died because he was, he became like my second dad because we lived in the same household. My grandmother died, um, a very, very early actually at the birth of my mother. And so that's when I go, wow, you know, my, my grandfather died and my, my, my father died. And what I'm just remembering, the other time I really had an impact of death when I was 16 and one of my best friends died in a motorbike accident. And that's when really I went, wow, you know, this is very, especially when you're young and somebody moves out, it's like, it's so real. It's so real and surrealistic. It's like, you know, you still see them somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a no, no, he's dead. So uh, I can't recall really when I was young, five, six, seven. Mm-hmm. Um, I just know that, and our my my mom was an artist. She was a, a designer, but she played music. My grandfather was a quite well known musician. He played music all the time. So we had this artistic household. My mom was crazy about plants. We had a like a winter garden that had a little palm tree. I mean, my mom bought flowers every um, every week, and I'm. I'm kind of like like her. Yeah, you kind of are. We're going to get to that. 
<laughs> in another interview, we're going to talk more about yeah, that. Yeah, and she, and I think that having that beauty around me and constantly having the music, I mean, really, my we had we had three dachshunds, they were yowling all the time because my grandfather was always playing those high tones with his violin and kind of kept the energy balanced. It's the only thing I can So you really never remember. had that sunken grief, heaviness? Mm-hmm. Not as a child. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like I said, I would like when we did, I did a lot of performance at the school I went to, had a lot of theater. I was always take the funny roles. So sometimes that's a way of dealing indirectly with grief where you just kind of go to the other extreme and just going to be really happy, Mm -hmm. you know, so. It's a great survival skill. Yeah. So it's a very, uh, all the pictures I have when I was a kid, I was always the, the, the funny one. Uh, um, so I, I think that's how I process that. Would you mind telling us that story about when you used to go to friends' houses or birthday parties when you were growing up? Yeah, I, I remember that when I used to go to my friends' houses or parties, I would always hang out with the dad. Uh, the kids would be playing and I would go in the kitchen or the living room and sit with the dad and ask him questions and and um, I, I realized that after we spoke for a while and again, uh, they had a dad and I didn't have one. So I wanted to, I guess I wanted to see what that's like. That's wonderful. I think that's so charming that you knew enough to say, I, I want some of this energy. I don't have it. And I want to know what a dad would have been like if I had had one. It was a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that. And my mom kept on telling me too when they, because they it was late in their life when they received me or conceived me. And she would say, well, she just always prayed that I would look like my dad. And then she would tell me all the time, you look just like you, uh, like Joe, you look just like Joe. And I do, I'd look a lot like my dad, but that was kind of, she kept on telling me that I was kind of like my dad and I looked like my dad. So it was kind of, is that a big responsibility to feel that? I guess so. It was kind of kind of interesting. I mean, I'm feeling that as you're yeah. saying it. I'm feeling like that's a lot of responsibility. Like I've got to be like him. Yeah. Did you feel like you couldn't quite be as much yourself? You had to be interested no, in the thing? I, I, Not the, to that extent. I don't think to that extent. But when I look at pictures of him, I'm I'm my stature, my my hair color, everything. I'm very much like my like my dad. He was from Georgia, so he had a um, very different look than any other people that lived around me. And not the state of Georgia and America. The state of Russia, yeah. Right. Is Georgia Russia? It's its own state. Mm-hmm. Well, that's wonderful. I thank you for sharing that because it's all those little things that add up mm-hmm. to our understanding of death or grief or loss. Now, were you able to ever talk about it with your mom, sit down and say, I really miss dad, mom? Or I mean, was there any? Yeah, I had a real, in a moment I was kind of, I don't know exactly what what age I was, but I wanted to know everything about my dad. I wanted to know how they met. I wanted to know everything. And she told me everything. She loved talking about him. When I got older and I really understand, she wasn't, um, she didn't say, I don't want to talk about it. And pretty much through her whole life, you know, she would come up, remember something. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it was very nice. We shared that. We were really, really close. Almost, I mean, I left for America when I was mm, 22. So um, I think it created a closeness that was not, it was wonderful. But at the same time, I left 
I left my country to come here. And that brings me to the second, well, maybe the third with your grandfather, impactful death you dealt with growing up in these years. And that was your husband, Steve? Yes. Could you tell us a little bit about how old you were when you met him and got married? And I was, we got married very early. We got married, uh, we lived in a community together. And we, I married when I was 24. And then we moved together to Santa Fe. And we both were climbers. We loved climbing. And New Mexico has a lot of beautiful climbing opportunities. And I remember I was gone uh, on a teaching trip to uh, Texas. And I came home uh, to our little house. And I walked in and I could see he already had all the dinner prepared. And I thought, oh, that's so sweet. And I turned on the TV and I never forget it. It was a, a special show on Tibet and special footage they found on the horror of 1959. And I thought, God, how can humans be so cruel? And it was the year I was born in. And they showed, it was very horrible footage on murder and 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 what happened to all the monks and and I was just kind of in shock watching it and I thought how can life be so intense and cruel and and there's a knock on the door and my friend that went um, climbing with my husband I stood there and I said, I have to talk to you. And I said, oh, where's Steve? And my dog was there, the Sam, where's the Sam? And um, she just stood there and she said, I have to talk to you. And I said, okay. She, I said, something happened. I said, but is Steve in the hospital? Did he get hurt? She says, no, he died. And I almost, you know, you don't, you just don't get that. No, and, you're standing at your good friend, mm-hmm. standing with her, looking at her. She's completely at a loss for words. You're sounding like you're almost pulling it out of her. Yep. And she tells you your husband died. Yep. Just an hour before? How how recent from her showing up? She died a couple hours before. So I, you kind of go into this total, I just remember almost wanted to hit my head in in the wall. I mean, it was kind of like you go into this total, you just shut down. Like, what did I just hear? Disbelief shut down? Yes. Um, brain, this is not computing in my yep. brain. And then I go, oh, come on. You jo-, you know, you're trying to think she's, you know, what a horrible joke. And, you, you know, you just kind of try to grasp it. Mm-hmm. And then um, she told me where he was. He was in Los Alamos at the little hospital. And I guess my dog ended up in, in a little doggy prison because he uh, was trying to protect my husband, who fell 150 feet down the canyon. and uh, Oh, and the dog here, the dog's trying to protect him, and they can't get to your husband because the dog appears vicious, even though your dog's just trying to protect him. Oh, so how, uh, all right. (laughs) That takes a breath away. Yeah, so I had, so here you don't know, I mean, nothing, nobody, you know, it's like, I mean, we have driver manuals. We learn how to drive. We have to learn so many things, but there's no real... Uh, go perhaps nowadays you can Google it now what mm-hmm. to do when somebody dies but back then there was no no way so what do you do so I called and they called me and I said you need to come up right away you need to pick up um, we need to know where the body goes and so I had some friends that went with me 
and I went into the, I remember hospital room and it was like, you know, like the movies, there was this big dark bag and they opened up and, um, I remember very well, he is, he had like a little indentation on his chest and, um, the mala broke that he was wearing and all the beads were like in with the blood and he had a huge cut. You could look right into his brain. And I thought, what, what am I going to do now? And I said, well, we need to know, you know, there needs to be an autopsy because he, and I said, no. And he said, no, 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 that's what has, that's what happens. We need to know why he fell and da, da, da. I said, his, his mother, that's the first thing I thought of, but his mother has to see him in one piece. That's the first thing I thought. And I said, it cannot happen. You cannot do that. And I said, well, he needs to go to Albuquerque and, and, you know, they had all those reasons. Um, and I go, uh. Can I just have a moment? So they laughed and I thought, what am I going to do? And I had this little bottle of rose oil that I carry with me. And I just put the rose oil on his heart, on his whole body. And I held him and kissed him. And and then they came in and they closed the bag. And I said, well, you hear from us tomorrow. He will be shipped to, um, you know, he has to have a blood test and all those things, whatever they told me. And I thought, and I, and please already think about where you want a funeral, which one funeral home you're going to use and. And then I picked up my dog who was shaking. I went home and still I couldn't, I mean, I saw him. I knew he died, but it was so intense. And I get a phone call in the morning. Please uh, pick up the, where are we going to deliver the body? And I thought, what? You just told me he's going to Albuquerque for autopsy. And he said, well, there was this horrible smell. And it went through the whole little hospital and we needed to go and wash his body. And it happened. There was a doctor that could give him a blood test and they, you know, he died of a natural cause. So we don't need an autopsy. I thought, yeah. Oh God. So in the insanity, there was some mini, something happened that was good. So, so I, I. Which was, you got to keep his body intact. I got intact. to keep his body intact. And, and that I, was to show. First and foremost, you wanted his mom to see him. Yes. And so I, the mother was on her way. You know, I called the family. And and then I thought, so how do you pick a funeral room? You just pick them in the, you know, back then we had like phone books. So there's two on, I think it's Early Street. There's two of them. I thought, well, I want to choose which one. So the first one I went in, I thought, well, I have to check out the other one. And um, um, Steve was very devoted to a um a teacher, her name is Ama. And when I walked in, there was a picture of her in on the desk. And the, it was really, and the, the light was coming in and just hitting her. And I thought, okay, this is it. This is the place I'm going to bring him. And they were wonderful. They really uh, let me, I mean, they had to, you know, they have to keep the body cold, but we're allowed, to, my friends and me, bring him out and pray with him and had a couple of days to spend time with him. Well, it was unbelievable. Now, was he in a coffin? No. He, how was he displayed? Well, I don't know. It was like a like kind of plastic container, I think. Right. He would have been in. in. Yeah. yeah. And so... Um, and could you see him? I could see him. I was able to put flowers on him. I had some... Um, we Some of the friends said goodbye because it happened so suddenly. So we had uh, almost four days where he could uh, be, you know, I mean... All day long, we could just go there. They would bring him out. We sit with him, and then they said, "Well, now it's time to burn him." He wanted a. Um, he wanted to be cremated. He wanted to be cremated. So I had some, you know, I put flowers on him and malas, and I just kind of made it made it real for me. 
and my my uh, my friend uh, Anupama had just had a baby, and um, we just went to the birth of that baby. So she, when the when the um, kind of was like a half cough, and he was open mm-hmm. when the fire was he was pushed into the fire. My friend was sitting there with the baby. So there was the, it was, it was amazing to, to see him being cremated and ha- holding the child where there was, you know, this, this fresh little newborn and here somebody, my husband went to the, to the other side, you know. Did you see it as a, he was being birthed to the other side? Is that the correlation you're making to the baby on no, this side? No, it was just really being the, in the cycle. Mm. of of death and and birth the blueprint of that it was very um remarkable that my friend even would bring a baby mm-hmm. b- because they were so close and he well, just think saw of you when you were two and a yeah. half you weren't allowed to go yeah and, and so he just and she just we both witnessed the birth like a week or, uh, or two weeks before so that was fresh in your yeah in your heart and mind yeah you know what's beautiful about what you're saying, and I think it's, I really want to encourage our listeners to look into it, is the rules are different in every state. And a lot of times people think, oh, we weren't allowed to keep the body at home past a certain amount of time. I really encourage people to look into what those rules are in advance if you can, because, you know, or you'll do it when you have to. But it's good to know because there is a lot of healing around people being able to have whatever ceremony they want. Like, we haven't gotten into it yet, but you are a phenomenal, what do I call you? I mean, what you do with flowers and essential oils and the products you make from nature. I I don't know, what, what can I call you? You're you're my amazing friend. A plant person. (laughs) (laughs) I love that about you. I'm just a plant person. But you have a long, long history of making these phenomenal products. And I love that you thought about the rose oil on him, that you covered him in flowers and so forth. And that's done now more than it was when you did it. But I think it's wonderful because, like you said, friends who were equally shocked got to come by and see him and say goodbye. And I'm a big advocate, if you can do it, seeing the person who has died, if that's all right with you. Do you agree that? Yeah. I mean, it helped so much to be able to have, especially in a sudden death. Sometimes we have time because somebody dies of cancer or they have a physical condition and we can visit them and rub their feet and kind of talk to them, read to them, you know, have like a, it's never easy when they leave. It's always that final experience, but you have some time. I didn't have any time. We just talked. I come home. I think I'm going to have dinner with my husband, and then he's he's just gone. So, uh, to been having those four days where I could just hold his hand and and I read to him, and to, um, it was very interesting because I thought, okay, what I'm going to have to do spiritually. Mm-hmm. Because everybody had a friend that was a uh, Christian. He says, well, I called the monastery and they're praying. The nuns are praying for him. And then I had a, um, I have so many friends from different religions and they were all praying for him. I thought, oh, good. He's covered in every religion. <laughs> and then I had a really good uh, Tibetan friend and he did the 49, I think it's 49 days for him. And I just did my own version. 
you know, my, my own, I knew which flowers he liked. I knew which scent he liked. You know, he loved frankincense. So I put a lot of frankincense on him and, and there are really no rules. I mean, there might be, as you said, rules of the, the state, mm-hmm. but with you with a person and, and it, it changed everything. It made it so real and, uh, beyond real. And you got back some time. I got back some time, yes. With him. And you, when you looked at the body, did you say, he's not in there anymore? I really... Oh, yeah. Okay. He, he wasn't in there anymore, for sure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after a couple of days, you could see, I would say, honey, it's time. We need to, you know, it became almost not humor. It became, there was a, a touch of humor there because you know they're not in there. So you're talking to this, this, this body... And, but still you're a little attached to the body because that's how you remember them. But then it's like, you know, I really have to, we have to, you know, it's time tomorrow you will be cremated. I told him. And, um, so that's always the most incredible experience when you with a dad person to see that they are not in there anymore, that we are, you know, a spirit, a soul that is separated from that in the moment that happens, that death. When you think back, because some people have different experiences thinking back on a dead body they saw, what does it bring you to think back on the seeing your husband in that state 20 years later when you think about it? That it was a dead body. I mean... And are you comfortable with that, at peace yes, with it? Or? Yes. And, you know, I... I, I Spend a lot of time on it. This just pops up in my head, but I've, I, I've spent a lot of time on farms, and I saw. Um, I think that's what we used to be more exposed to. Mm-hmm. We would see animals pass. We would see. We, we used to be big families. We used to see the grandmother pass. This is that part of of being a part of death in many different ways was a normal thing. And now suddenly it's like we have to talk about it. It's like, wow, you were allowed to be with your dead husband. Like it, it's something special. But I feel it's kind of our, I don't know if to call it birthright, but it's a, it's a, it's a part, it should be a part of our life to, be, to witness death and, and have that gift. It's a gift. It's a gift because that's where we're going, you know. And how is it a gift? It's a gift to prepare you for your own death. Because I know I'm going to, you know, I, I'm, I'm a visitor here and I'm going there. And to be able to witness my husband leaving and knowing that I'm leaving made it easier. It made it more real. It made it a part of my life, a daily life. Because we don't really talk about death at all. We don't, which is why I'm so grateful you're here today on our interview and sharing this story. And now we're going to take a little break. Okay. And we're going to come back with when your husband started returning in your dreams. Yes. And he actually brought some very special visitors. That way I, got goose- <laughs> I just got goosebumps. Goosebumps for that one. <laughs> yeah. All right, we'll be back in a minute. Thank you. 